The global pandemic changed the way teachers engage with learning technologies. In this podcast, we try to filter out the clutter and noise around technology tools and focus on the essential questions of pedagogy that drive meaningful learning experiences. You're joining Alicia Gallegos-Butters, Dr. Michelle Hochter-Thompson, and Pamela Rabin for our podcast series, EdTech. If If you you didn't didn't know, now now you know. know. Welcome, everybody. We are in chapter two of our book, Made for Learning, How the Conditions of Learning Guide Teaching Decisions. I am Alicia Gallegos-Butters here at the San Diego County Office of Ed, and I'm with my partner today. Hey, it's Pam Rabin, and it's a pleasure to be here. Our colleague, Michelle Hochter-Thompson, is hopefully out enjoying herself somewhere on her break right now, but she will be joining us again for the next episode. We hope that you are all reading along with us. If you haven't already gotten the book, we hope that you do get it. It's a great book to have your own copy because if you could see through this podcast, you would see that I have made a ton of notes on chapter two alone. It is all about learning theories and teaching. Uh, definitely. I've noticed I have got markings all over this book as well. What I think was the most interesting part to me was that the authors are really suggesting that we need to start examining the fundamental beliefs that we have about children and learning that underlie the decisions that we make. And in thinking about our beliefs, we really have to begin to grapple with how we conceptualize our role. When they asked us what our theory of learning was, I'm just going from the question in the back, how does the description in the book align with my own personal beliefs about learning? In asking me to do that, I had to stop and really think about what I believe about teaching. I agree, and just take time and think about your philosophies of learning and what are your beliefs even deeper about how students learn. I have taught both elementary, middle, high, and currently I teach at San Diego State. And I rarely stop and reflect on how did I do, but more importantly, how did my students do? And how does my belief of teaching translate into what I do on a day-to-day basis? They asked you kind of think about what's your metaphor for teaching, and there's a lot of them out there. I I don't know, Alicia, if you have metaphors that you use. I'll talk about mine in a minute, but I do know that they mentioned like students as an empty cup. Um, I've heard them about teachers being farmers, and you know we're going to grow these students. Uh, Maybe teachers as coaches. I never really thought about a metaphor for teaching and how I how I went about it. It it also asked me how do I define learning? And that was really hard for me. I know when I started teaching, I was taught to define learning based off of did my students pass the test? Yeah. And what was their percentage? And if you followed that bell curve, then you were really doing a great job. That's how I was taught to define learning. Later, I learned that that's not necessarily how you define learning. And it was really about what meaning did students make? So when you talk about a metaphor for teaching, I I still don't know what my metaphor would be. (laughs) That's so abstract, but I do know what it looks like 
when I see students making meaning and I know what it sounds like and I know what it feels like when my students are making meaning, but I can't come up with a metaphor for that. Yeah, I, I was so last night preparing for this, I started thinking of what is my metaphor? I think I'm with you that I've never really put my theory of learning into a metaphor form. So then I was like, okay, well, what could a metaphor for me right now be? And I think um, I came up with sort of museum curator maybe because I know in museum curation or when we talk about exhibits that people go in and into there might be a docent there that can give you information but someone has really thought about the environment they've thought about what are people going to do as they move through the environment what kind of activities might they engage in and how do they exit that environment and make meaning for themselves so I really want students to become autonomous designers of their own education and especially when it comes to educational technology, we create the environments that allow them to choose their own path and make meaning for themselves. Yeah, I think the first time I was really exposed to meaning making from a student perspective, believe it or not, was when I was getting my master's degree in educational technology. I knew all about pedagogy and the science of teaching, but I had heard a new phrase called andragogy, and that is really the adult learning theory. I believe it was Knowles who developed that in the early 80s. And what Knowles said was that adults needed to know why they were learning something. They needed to be internally motivated to learn it. They needed to think of it as a bridge to learning something, and they wanted to be in charge of their own learning journey. And lastly, it needed to be relevant to them. And that all always clicked with me because I didn't necessarily just see that for adults. I see that for all students. To me, that's really how students make that meaning of learning and how they want to continue that learning growth. I like your idea of being a museum curator because you're putting those elements of learning theory together and then students are choosing their own path, like those old-fashioned video games where you could choose your own yeah, path. And I think the process of thinking of that metaphor could be good for teachers, but I think if you're really committing to a metaphor, that uh, could be a mixed bag of tricks because, you know, the metaphors that you're selecting are drawn from thinking rooted in former experience. But I think if you really decide that's my metaphor and I'm sticking with it, um, that can get in the way of getting new ideas around teaching. So maybe it's best to have this plurality of metaphors so you're not so entrenched in one. Mm -hmm. I was really happy to see in this chapter, it went to constructivist belief system. I've always thought I was a constructive belief person. I remember when I was first learning about all these theories of learning, it was like there were two sides. There was the behaviorist and the constructivist. It was hard though, back when I started teaching, to really put that into practice because there was such a mismatch. Like you wanted your students to construct something and to make meaning of it but ultimately you had to give them a grade and there were going to be mistakes and there was going to be levels of judgment on the work that they constructed. That's always been really hard for me as an educator, that mismatch of how do I let students make meaning and their own personal meaning and learn in their own way, but then I'm driven by this system where I have to grade them. That's why I think to bring it into the educational technology world, ed tech is so interesting because we can make these different environments to let our students explore and learn in. Or they can make those different environments and they can choose different tools to create and 
to learn from. And I think that when constructivism and ed tech, they started to merge, it started becoming for me really an interesting arena to teach in. Yeah, we talk a lot about consuming information versus creating information in educational technology and you know the highest level would be having students use a tool to actually create something new that more transactional process of learning if you're looking at it that way I'm going to give you knowledge seems more like that consuming end mm-hmm. um, where here's this body of knowledge you need to learn it I've given it to you and now I'm going to assess you on it you either get it or you don't there's kind of a finite Mm-hmm. I deal with that. Right. And if you don't, then you're behind and now I have to figure out what your gaps are and I have to fill those gaps for you. Like you said, constructivism is more of that ongoing process of constructing, deconstructing, reconstructing. So as you're creating these projects with students, they are rebuilding their understandings. They're constantly in that prototyping phase, getting feedback, not necessarily you did this wrong, but it's like, have you thought that feedback can be 360? It could come from peers, it could come from people people in the environment that they're creating for. So looking at different frameworks, I think of the triple E framework of how does technology enhance what you want your students to do? How does it engage the students? And then how are they able to extend their learning in a way that makes sense to them and meaning for them? Right, and that's that autonomous driver of their own knowledge. Exactly, and that's that's again where I always have gone gone back to Noel's theory of andragogy. It's not just adults, you're making meaning and relevancy. And when I was reading this chapter, all these different theories were coming back to me. Yeah, and you just said relevancy too, and I think that's a huge part of it. Technology allows you to create that environment where if you have that Mm assets-based belief about children that they come to you with knowledge, they come to you with experiences outside of school, if you're able to set up conditions where they can then extend their knowledge in ways that are more interesting to them, they're more emotionally connected, it's going to be deeper learning, and I think it's just a more joyful place to be in. Yeah, and that's that's really what we want to do, is we want to make sure that our students feel engaged and they they want to learn. And in this chapter, they spend a lot of time talking about how do students learn how to speak. The fact is, by age six, most children have learned how to speak. They've figured out the grammar components. They've figured out when to use intonation. They Many have figured out sarcasm. I remember when I was a middle school teacher, one of my students said to somebody else, I understand your sarcasm. <laughs> I'm just not responding to it. So they've understood nuances of language, and many times they've done that by six years old and when you think about it was that relevancy and they needed to do that to survive in thinking about that how do we translate it to our classrooms if we're thinking about these students being this empty vessel and we're pouring in knowledge how do we change that to think about not me pouring it in but we're filling it up together and they gave us some language in this chapter to even think about so instead of saying things like I'm going to be teaching guided reading today it becomes today we are creating this opportunity to make meaning of this reading lesson that meaning can be different to every single one of your students depending on what knowledge they bring I saw that all the time. Everybody had something different. When students could pick their own reading, the different readings that they would pick to make meaning of were just amazing. The things that they got out of it because it was relevant to them. We are constructivists in nature as teachers. We're constantly redefining 
who we are as teachers and what our beliefs are. And I think that's okay. And so if you're a new teacher out there, I think you need to realize that you are going to change. You are going to see things differently as you progress through your teaching. We just had the pandemic and teachers had to go into teaching technology. And that was a huge change for a lot of people that really shook up mm -hmm. what they think. We kept asking teachers, go back to your core beliefs about students. What is good teaching? What do you want them to do? And now let's try to put that within a frame of technology integration. I think that question, what does a student or what is, does this learner know already, is the central question that all educators should be asking. This past year, students learned so differently. Yeah. It was hard to track where students were. If there's been any a time in our history as educators to really reflect on what our core values are, it's now because we have the opportunity to really switch up our core values and think about the system in which we engage in. And learning is relevant. Right, and they take, they take some ownership in that learning. And I think it's really important that we are careful not to label things as deficit-oriented, mm -hmm. so not gap recovery or not... Learning loss. Learning loss and things or like that. because COVID I, slide. I think students will internalize that. And if that is our belief, if we're really looking at it as COVID slide and learning loss, you kind of fall back on mm -hmm. that transactional look at education. And I think, again, what I love about this chapter is in reading through it, you're going to find that North Star again of what you really believe about education and examine it to try to align to what you know about teaching again, what your true beliefs are. And take a look at the pandemic that way. You know, yeah. I believe students come to me with knowledge, with these abilities to understand how they learn and how do I capitalize on those things. I agree. I, I liked this chapter, though. It made me think a lot about things I haven't thought about in a long time. I think I, I do get on autopilot when it comes to my teaching. I get on autopilot when it comes to my beliefs, and it asks me to, to really think about that again. It asks me to think about discrepancies that I may have, that my own mismatch, and how do I work with that mismatch. I think this chapter has probably very strategically led us into our next chapter, chapter three, where we begin to talk about the conditions of learning. Because if we are searching for how do I take my maybe mismatches and my autopilot and my worrying about getting through the curriculum because I have a test coming up and make that a better situation for kids. Mm -hmm. um, at the very last paragraph of the book, they say, understanding those conditions of learning makes constructivist belief systems come to life. Mm -hmm. So if you are able to be that curator, to think about that environment, understand under what conditions learning occurs, you can begin to set up that environment in a way that's going to be beneficial for kids. We do want to hear from you on this. Leave some comments for us. So I'm excited to read these next few chapters. I am too, and we will be back next week. Absolutely. Thank you. If you'd like to join us for future podcasts, you can go to our website. The short link for that is bit.ly slash edtechnow. So that's B-I-T dot L-Y slash edtechnow, all lowercase letters. Or you can check us out on our edtech event website at edtech.innovatesd.org. Oh, <laughs>